Hi everyone, I'm Kyle Poyer, filling in for Ashley this week to bring you a special podcast episode. If you listen to Build Season 2, my voice will sound familiar. I hosted the season which covered everything you'd ever want to know about SAS benchmarks. Well, I'm excited to share that I'm back for one episode only to share with you the results of our 2018 Expansion SAS Benchmark study. Today I have with me my co-authors, Sean Fanning and Gail Axelrod. Thanks, Kyle. Hello, everyone. This is Sean. I'm a Corp Dev Manager here at OpenView, uh, helping the portfolio establish strategic relationships, execute capital raise transactions, and I also analyze trends across M&A, PE, and public markets. Hey, Kyle. I'm Gail. I run marketing here. The SAS Benchmarks report is my favorite time of the year. It's some really interesting insights, and I'm excited to chat through it with you guys today. It's like Christmas for SAS nerds. Christmas for VC. <laughs> And so in today's episode of Build, we're going to review key findings from our 2018 survey. So be sure to read along with us at sasbenchmarks.com. But before we get started, I wanted to send a special thank you to this year's survey partners for making our 2018 SAS benchmarks our biggest and best yet. Those partners include Point9, Foundry, Two Sigma, Inovia, Karma, Visible, MMC, Boldstart, Communitech, and the University of Toronto's Impact Center. So let's dive in. Uh, as Kyle mentioned, we hope you'll be following along with us online at sasbenchmarks.com. So Kyle, why don't you first give an overview of the companies that participated, the type of role those people had, just kind of an overall um, idea of who we're talking about when we talk about the survey. We wanted to get a pretty broad representation. So we covered over 400 different companies, ranging from pre-revenue all the way to IPO stage. And companies were from all over the world. 57% were from the US, but we also had pretty good representation from Europe and Canada. So we could look at how startups in those regions compare to their North American peers. And the people that participated in the survey tended to be CEOs or founders or the CFOs of the company. So really the people that have access to benchmarking data and, uh, you know, where metrics are top of mind. That sounds like this survey data should definitely apply to everyone out there listening. So, you know, the next section talks about the ubiquity of SaaS. We all know Salesforce, the company actually turns 20 in February, which is insane and makes me feel very old. But despite the saturated, you know, nature of SaaS, you still say in the report that despite how crowded the market is, that we've really yet to hit peak SaaS. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, SaaS is becoming a more and more crowded market. Companies are reporting that they have more competitors than ever. I actually saw some data from ProfitWell that said the average SaaS company has nine competitors up from just two back in 2013. So it's, it is a crowded landscape, but we actually haven't hit peak SaaS amazingly. So this year it's been, you know, record-breaking number of IPOs and those IPOs have performed really well on the public markets. And when we look at our data, we asked everyone how fast they're growing and we cut that data based on what their ARR was. And we found that Growth is actually slowing at the really early stage, so it's hard for companies to break through in that crowded market. But for companies, once they hit about 2.5 million in ARR, 
growth rate is higher than last year. So the companies that are performing well are raising record amounts of funding and growing faster than ever. I mean, if you read much about the SaaS news, you know Slack hit 100 million faster than any other company before. Dropbox hit a billion in run rate faster than any other company before. So for the companies that have found product market fit, they can scale really rapidly. And Sean, do you think there's an underlying differentiator between the companies that have been able to grow really quickly, public or otherwise? Everybody at OpenView is really excited about product-led growth, and so we couldn't help ourselves but ask a few questions about it in this year's survey. Uh, So we asked about a number of different strategies, and I think what people will find is these companies are performing better. I'm going to use this opportunity to plug a recent post. If you're an OpenView Labs reader, you might have seen a post titled Product-Led Growth, the Key to Becoming a Top Quartile Public Company. A quick spoiler, in the process of looking at the public SaaS set, we found that a subset of these companies that are leveraging PLG strategies are performing better on key valuation drivers such as growth, gross margin, and rule of 40, and they're also valued higher than their non-PLG peers. So this is great validation for PLG businesses, and we saw some of that in the data from the survey this year as well. So something else that we point out in the survey, in addition to product-led growth being uh, something that can really pump up your bottom line and help you grow faster, is pricing, which Kyle, I know you are considered the pricing guru here. So what kind of interesting pricing insights did we find in this year's survey? I'm a little bit obsessed with pricing. So uh, look, pricing is a topic I'm personally passionate about. It's something that can have a really big impact on a company's growth. And it's something that is relatively easy to change. I mean, it's not simple to change your pricing, but compared to hiring 10 new sales reps or ramping up your your marketing spend, you know, it's something that is easier to do and and a faster uh, impact on the bottom line. So we asked companies, you know, how many of them changed their pricing this year? And then what was the impact if they did that? And we found about 60% of companies changed their pricing over the last year. And that number was pretty consistent regardless of company size. So even the largest companies out there, you might think that they've figured out pricing and they just you know set it and forget it. But even they are innovating on their pricing, coming up with new models or you know optimizing their pricing as they learn from the market. And among companies that did change their pricing, the impact is pretty staggering. A pretty large number of them actually saw a 25% or faster growth rate as a result of changing their pricing. And, you know, it's hard to find 25% faster growth rate from, you know, many other initiatives in the business. Uh, And also very few companies had a negative impact or no impact from pricing. It was almost all positive, almost all good news. So if you haven't taken a look at your pricing, definitely recommend uh, revisiting that, bringing in uh, quantitative research and data to bear on whether, you know, not just your price levels are right, but do you have the right metrics, uh, value metrics behind how you price? Have you built your packages the right way? Have you thought about how you're going to monetize your new products? There's a lot that you can consider there. That's great. And uh, if you haven't checked out any of our pricing content on labs, I would definitely recommend that. So in addition to pricing, product-led growth, these are all strategies that we found can help scale your business efficiently. Another trend that we really uncovered in our report, and it's kind of reflected in our you know, investment strategy, is the next generation of SaaS will really come from somewhere you've never heard of. You know, Just as an example, our most recent investments are from Australia, Brazil, 
Durango, Colorado, not necessarily a tech hotspot. So we're we're investing globally, and uh, it's exciting to see that our our data really shows that. So Sean, can you comment on why a little bit about why you think that this is happening? Uh, what's making it easier for companies to kind of come from anywhere? Yeah, definitely. So just to just to highlight some of the data that we did see uh, of the expansion stage companies that participated in the survey this year. It's actually impressive. Nearly 40% of those with 1 to 10 million in ARR were based outside of the U.S. So significant representation from Canada, Europe, and Australia and New Zealand as well. And looking at the data, one thing that was surprising to me was that there's not, you know, one single tech hub outside of the Valley. So obviously the Valley has a huge concentration of tech companies, but more and more we're seeing that you can build a great uh, tech business really anywhere. I was just in... Uh, Tallinn, Estonia last year, and then Helsinki, Finland. And there are a number of amazing tech companies coming out of those two cities. You know, look at Pipedrive, for instance, out of Estonia. You know, in 2018, the next great SaaS company is going to come from somewhere that you haven't quite thought about or heard of before. All of that's amazing, and it gives you the opportunity to travel to all these amazing companies. So very exciting. But all of that said, we also found that in order to truly reach scale and you know become a kind of once in a generation type of company, you really do need to be selling into North America. So what is the underlying reason behind that? And despite you know being able to start up and maybe even get some initial traction from your home base, why do you think these companies ultimately need to sell to the U.S. market? Yeah, I mean, look, the U.S. is still the largest market for SaaS. U.S. companies are more used to SaaS, and they're more open to trying new, not necessarily proven technologies provided by startups. And the chances are that you know, uh, whoever wins in the U.S. ultimately wins the global market. So when we looked at, at our survey data, we found that you know, you can be an expansion stage company, reach up to about 10 million by just selling to your domestic local market. But as soon as you scale beyond 10 million, you really have to have significant penetration in North America. So the, the average percent uh, for European companies, about half of their deals and half their sales were from the U.S. as soon as they reached 50 million. And so there is a chicken and the egg problem here. Like it's hard to say if companies became successful because they started selling into North America or if selling into North America made them successful. But we were very hard pressed to find companies that have hit meaningful scale with having a solid presence in North America. And so Sean, once those companies do hit scale and maybe they're looking for, you know, their exit path. Like what are you seeing in terms of those opportunities? What do they look like in 2018? I think folks will continue to think about a lot of the traditional exit paths. IPO is always on, on top of mind, but what we're finding is that PE is a great new exit path. There's a lot of capital out there and especially a lot of private capital. You know, there's been a decline in IPOs. Part of this is the ra that rapid rise of private equity. Those folks are more comfortable paying revenue multiples. Their lenders are more comfortable lending on ARR. So there's a lot of capital out there uh, in those markets. And to be attractive to private equity, we're seeing that companies are you know starting to think about about the rule of 40, so not just growing at all costs, but balancing growth and profitability. And we find that if companies are able to grow you know, faster than 50%, they're almost all still burning cash. 
But as soon as growth starts dipping below that 50% level, they start pivoting towards profitability or, or break even and trying to think about how can they balance, you know, maybe it's 20, 30, 40% growth while being break even or, you know, burning just a little bit. And by doing that, that's going to position them to be attractive, not only to private equity, but also to the public market. Um, it really creates optionality for them to pursue whatever exit opportunities out there. So the last thing that we want to touch on, and this is something we covered in our survey last year, is um, SaaS companies are finally showing progress on diversity. And if you've been following OpenView for you know, some time, you know that increasing the diversity of our own team here, increasing the diversity of the boards and the teams of our portfolio companies is something that's top of mind, something that we're always trying to work on and improve because, you know, as data shows, research demonstrates that diverse teams are smarter, they have better outcomes, they're more innovative, and ultimately all of that means that they're more financially successful. So I'm super pumped to share that we did see some improvement over last year's data in terms of gender parity, especially on the board and in leadership. So Kyle, I'd love for you to touch on uh, what the numbers are saying there. Yeah, the biggest change was really the percent of companies that have brought on at least one female board member. That number was just 29% last year, but it's up to 39% this year. I mean, another way of looking at that is more than 60% of companies still have zero women on their board, which is still a problem. But, you know, that number is a lot better than it was before. Only 8% of companies have real parity between men and women on their board, which at least is up from 4%. So, you know, it's double, but from a, from a small base. And that's an area that OpenView specifically has been focusing on because it really all starts from the top and having that diverse set of perspectives, really leading and uh, shepherding the company, that's going to set the tone and make an impact everywhere else throughout the company's leadership ranks and then all the way down to the to the most junior employees. So we've actually partnered with the Athena Alliance, which is a nonprofit that's dedicated to helping connect female executives with board level opportunities. And through the Athena Alliance, we've found that several of our portfolio companies, including Lessonly and Lupio, have hired amazing new female board members, uh, independent board members. And uh, it's the most heartening to see that, you know, this is not just an outlier, that this is, you know, a full-fledged trend that most companies in, in the survey are, are moving towards. Yeah, definitely some incremental changes, but still encouraging to see. So finally, the, the key takeaway, I'd love to kind of get from Sean and Kyle, both your sense on what were the most interesting findings from this year's survey. Sean, why don't you uh, take it away? Well, I got to say, now I understand why Kyle loves pricing so much. Looking at the data, only 2% of the companies that changed pricing expected it to have a negative impact. I think from my perspective, there's been a stigma. You're going to lose customers if you change pricing. That's just not true. Every company essentially got free growth by changing their pricing, which is pretty exciting. And to me, OpenView has been a fan of product-led growth, partly as consumers of products, because, you know, products that have great user experiences, it's hard not to enjoy using them and then wanting to, to buy them and invest in them. Uh, it's great to finally see some data back up that intuition. And we're finding with public companies that they're trading at higher multiples and they are spending far less on sales and marketing because the product sells itself. And for, as investors, those are things that we look for in companies making sure that they're really efficient in their sales and marketing spend and they have a you know a clear growth 
growth trajectory that is rooted in customers actually finding value in the products, enjoying them, and enjoying them so much that they're going to share them with their friends and colleagues. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. And uh, again, you can check out the full survey online at sasbenchmarks.com, where you'll also be able to download a more robust data set and report. So again, thank you, Sean and Kyle. Super pumped to get our uh, 2018 expansion SAS benchmarks out there. And hopefully Ashley didn't mind us kind of taking over the pod this week, but she'll be back next week. So as always, be sure to subscribe, rate us, and you can find us online and on Twitter at OpenView Venture. See you next week. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. And give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Outside of podcasts, we produce content daily on OpenView Labs. You can subscribe to our newsletter that is sent out to over 100,000 SaaS operators and founders every Saturday morning by going to openviewpartners.com forward slash newsletter. Or you can follow us on Twitter at OpenView Venture. Until next time.